0: Edgar Allan Poe Il terrore di Bram Stoker I mostri di Mary Shelley La suspense di Alfred Hitchcock di Edgar Wallace Il brivido di Robert Louis Stevenson E l'orrore di horror Disperatamente, i morti tendono la mano ai vivi. In un sinistro, allucinante avversario.
1: the righteous.
0: Curse of the devil. Exorcism, a sacrifice. Blessing or bestiality of the devil Satan in control of the body of the mind My love will destroy the creation I swear that you'll find it.
1: To the Nashie Cast. I am once again Rod Barnett.
2: I am as ever Troy Gwynn.
1: <laughs> we are here for another Beyond Nashi episode. This will be Beyond Nashi number 31, uh, where we uh, we're going to talk about a, a gothic film, uh, something we haven't done for a little while.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, the the interesting thing to me about gothic movies is that I had always, for well, let's put it this way, I had for a very long time considered gothic movies. To kind of be one little slow specific niche in my head. Mm-hmm. When I think of a gothic movie, what pops into my head is almost always a black and white movie that takes place in a castle and usually involves some form of upper crust or mm. er, you know some part of the aristocracy yeah. of whatever nation we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, dealing with some bizarre family problem or some you know hideous secret mm-hmm. that must be. Uh, must eventually come to light, and unfortunately, uh, probably is a bad idea for people to learn. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And all of those things are generally true about most gothics, except, honestly, there's a lot more color gothics Yeah, there than are, quite, there are black are, and white there
2: are quite a few. There are quite a few, right. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, I would
1: you know, put... The Hope
2: Poe, yeah, Corman, exactly. Corman Poe films.
1: All of those really fall into the gothics yeah. category, and yet... There, as soon as there's color on screen, Mm. somehow it just it it doesn't feel like I should call it a gothic tale or a Mm. gothic romance or a gothic whatever whatever whatever, and uh, I gotta I gotta pull myself out of that because I was doing some reading over the weekend and I have to say that it's very clear that like say Guillermo del Toro's Crimson Peak. Mm. That's a gothic, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it could be more colorful if yeah. it you know, I know. if yeah, it tried, right. <laughs> if it if it bled, technicolor color right onto the screen. <laughs> so the beauty of the gothic is, you know, is 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 always in the setting and, and mm. the mood and the atmosphere, mm. and uh, hopefully in the you know possibly incestuous relationships between different family <laughs> yeah. members or or different characters mm. on screen. Uh, and I just I but I still say as soon as someone says, oh, it's a you know let's watch a let's watch a gothic movie. Mm. I don't think uh, I don't think Crimson Peak I don't think the mm. Corman Poe yeah. films I don't think yeah. those kinds of movies I immediately go to you know mm-hmm. uh, black and white I go to you know Castle of Blood I go yeah. to something of that nature
2: one of the neat things about the gothic genre is that it, it actually it can be both supernatural or not it can be yeah. it does indeed the stories can work either way you know they can you can have the same trappings and have it not and have it not be a ghost a real ghost or have it not really be supernatural in origin or you can go full on. You know, supernatural, ghostly, haunting, and, you know, it both works, which is cool.
1: And this is a weird thing that I had to learn over time is that you can actually have a black and white gothic movie that does not start Barbara Steele
2: well now yeah now you're gonna fight me more on that I don't know no, no. but but I think we both agree that there's always are so much better with Barbara Steele she you know, you might not have to have her but if you got Barbara in there then you've already got
1: yeah you, you, you know, you're taking a step in the right direction <laughs> well listen before we get into the discussion of this evening's film um, have you seen anything recently, anything uh, intriguing? Uh, I know we're all we're all still you know, it's still, in yeah, COVID, still COVID still yeah, Exactly,
2: but. you know, we're still, so yes, yeah, so we've been catching up on a lot of viewing. Actually, one of the nicest surprises I came across recently was something that I had just thrown into my Amazon Prime queue, yeah. you know, as we do, and you forget why you put it there or how you even, you know. <laughs> how did I learn and about this And I suspect that yeah. I think that I threw this in when I was hunting up Jallos on Amazon and it's one of those that, uh, films that I think came up and in, in probably gets a, called a Jallo but I would not really it's actually more of a um, Agatha Christie kind of Ten Little Indians thing sort of to me mm-hmm. more than it is Jallo but it's The Weekend Murders have you ever seen this one? Now you may know it under the a different title, title the but,
1: title rings a bell
2: yeah The Weekend Murders um, Very, really really enjoyed it I wasn't sure what to expect and I knew nothing what to expect really but uh it's got a, uh, it's an um, Italian film. It's got a neat sense of humor to it. Very, and it's it's much more restrained than it could have been as far as the humor goes in it. It definitely knows what it's doing, and, and like I said, it's got a very much Agatha Christie kind of feel to it. Okay. The cast are all r- really having a lot of fun with it, and so is the director. And it's doing even the things that when anything happens, it does all the zoom ins on all the different suspects, potential suspects' reactions. You know, has the whole reading of a family will. You know, that's always <laughs> at the core of, and the cop who's kind of trying to figure it all out it's got two policemen and one is the inspector who has a inflated idea of himself and then the other policeman who's really just kind of a sort of on the surface a bumbling oaf but he's really actually the one who's mostly doing all the figuring out of oh. things and it's the kind of thing that they could have really gone overboard with in, in terms of humor but it's actually amusing without being overplayed um, but it just does but I just found it like really thoroughly entertaining and, and just kept doing some great
1: well is it really a giallo I mean see, no you...
2: see I would not call it that I'm yeah. just saying that that's I think it got when I was hunting giallos it somehow came up as something just probably being an Italian film okay. but I personally wouldn't really classify it so much as that as like I would say more like a riff on the Agatha Christie more like a riff on the Ten Little Indians sort of that sort of type of mystery more than I would consider it a giallo but I, I recommend it though I, I found it to be a lot of fun
1: well, oh, cool, cool. Yeah, like I say, something about that rings a bell, but I don't. Think, I, it doesn't sound like anything I've
0: seen. Yeah,
2: yeah, but yeah, Jane like I said, it's it's there. Uh, I think it's still f- just free for viewing on Amazon Prime, and and uh, and and you have a very good print of it. You know, really nice to to watch. So yeah, that's probably the the thing that's kind of stood out to me as far as just something that came out of left field that I don't know what I was getting into and ended up just being a really enjoyable experience. Cool, How about cool.
1: you? Uh, let's see. What have I been watching lately? <clears throat> um, a lot of interesting things, but. Okay, for instance, uh, the 1976 film Rape. Hmm. Rape, mm-hmm. yes, R-A-P-E. <laughs> Just, yeah. um, it's a kind of a Spanish-made uh, mystery horror film uh-huh. that starred, uh, the reason I wanted to see it was it starred uh, Net, uh, Nadeuska.
2: Oh, right, yeah, that had uh, been in uh, um, People Who in the Dark. And
1: and played Conan's mother in Conan right, Barbarian. Right, and, and, yeah. And I was, I was curious to see this film. And it's like, and it's, like it's, it's not a particularly good film. I didn't, mm. I, I, you know, I, I rated it like a five out of, on the mm-hmm. one to ten scale mm-hmm. thought it was okay and interesting and it's like you know it's mm-hmm. it, it, if memory serves is like that word rape means something that this film does not seem to understand
2: <laughs> yeah
1: but <laughs> anyway uh, you know, that was one of those you know scratching something off my to-do mm-hmm. list yeah as, you know as I go along through various you know Spanish thriller type films from the 1970s that I've never gotten around to
2: yeah
1: oh and also uh, in a different vein from the 60s I uh, wanted to watch this. Uh, I'm a fan of Lex Barker, especially. Yeah. I, I first got to know him because he he, he played Tarzan in several movies in mm-hmm. the late '50s, and then uh, went to went to Italy and did the. He played Old Shatterhand in a bunch of yeah. the, the Win of Two films mm-hmm. and stuff in Germany.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: He did a lot of stuff actually, mm-hmm. some uh, some uh, Eurospy stuff and things of that nature, and uh, he was he was just he was just a. I really like watching his watching him on screen and so mm-hmm. I'd tr- I finally tracked down and watched this movie from I think nineteen yeah nineteen sixty called Robin Hood and the Pirates, mm. which is this little Italian made film which uh has almost no budget
0: <laughs> 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 so
1: I watched it, and it it ended up being you know once again is another one of those you know I'm not sorry I watched it mm. but at the same time it's it's not something I ever imagined rewatching yeah so Robin Hood and the Pirates was interesting <clears throat> uh definitely uh Low budget and geared toward uh, the younger set in a lot yeah. of ways, and that uh, there's not a whole lot of uh, not a whole lot of complicating anything within the the mm. plot structure or within the uh, the character interactions. Uh, it's it kind of fun to watch, in a you know let's watch a a really weird <laughs> kind of offbeat <laughs> Robin Hood movie where even the pirates don't actually have a pirate ship because they clearly cannot <laughs> afford, afford a pirate
2: ship. <laughs> Can uh, they borrow the model from Ghost Galleon and just? <laughs> no, no, it's even weirder. I guess the movie, they got burned. Yeah, the
1: first scene of the movie, they're they're like on the they're on their mm. pirate ship and they've mm. apparently they've kidnapped Robin Hood. they they've grabbed Robin Hood and are bringing him back to England because they intend to ransom him. Yeah, but we never get a shot of the ship other than like the just a, a few feet of the deck, right? <laughs> like clearly, yeah, we're right. they like, they like had a few hours to shoot on mm. a mock of, of, mm. of, of a of a of a galleon ship deck and then they, they <laughs> then they, there's this there's uh, i can't remember it was a storm or something mm. something happens and the 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 everybody has to abandon ship and they're even afraid that they're going to that mm-hmm. Robin Hood's going to drown because they don't have time to like get him off the ship
0: mm. and
1: uh, then of course that, that means the ship is gone and so it's just, <laughs> all the whole rest of the film just takes place on land <laughs> it's such a, a threadbare budget that they they couldn't even afford like stock shots of a ship to pretend that that was the pirate ship at the beginning of the movie it's it's filmed on very few locations if you're in a forgiving mood it's not it's it's not terrible right but if you're in a non-forgiving mood <laughs> You're going to wish for your, you know, your 85 minutes back.
2: Well, it's so, you. you kind of just perfectly described uh, one I just watched this last week's Valley of the Dragons that I'd never seen before, and it's it's kind of oh, is
1: it that the black and white film from the late from early 60s? Yes, yeah,
2: from from 61. Based
1: on a Jules Verne story.
2: Yes, based on a Jules Verne story, I and I like it. Oh, oh no, me too. I mean, it's but it's it's but it's it's. I did. I mean, it honestly, it was better than it had a right to be, considering yeah, that yeah. it's half half of its stock footage. Yeah, and it's the stock footage that everybody uses that from million years BC, the I guess the '40s version, and then yeah. the, of the wrestling komodo dragons, and you know that it that Where they're cutting seen. away
1: just before the footage of Victor Mature would be on screen. Yeah, yeah.
2: and ha- having you know, this is all part of my ongoing working through that Keep Watching the Skies book that I've been doing for years now. You know yeah. that I've just been continually working my way through trying to watch. You know, I'm already up to 61. I've literally almost to the. End of the journey there, you know. But I've seen that stock footage now at least ten times throughout that, you know. But what's hilarious oh, yeah. about this particular film is, I don't know if you recall, that they actually used Rodan. They actually used stock footage from Rodan.
1: Oh, my God, in
2: the film. really? The tinted black and colored black and white, black and white film.
1: How did they get away
2: And with nobody that? even mentioned, like, nobody, like, even... um. Uh, like even in even in the Bill Warren's book, and they keep watching the guys reading the write up about it. He he didn't. I couldn't believe he didn't pick up on it. And then I was reading a G fan article that was mentioning all the appearances of Rodan. And he was even mentioning the stock footage times that he appeared in Toho films. Right. I thought, but they totally missed, you know, everyone know he missed this, but there's several scenes at the beginning of the film. In fact, he's the first monster they see when the two guys get swept and up. And it's definitely Rodan. Oh, it's no question. It's Rodan. It's from the first film. And, and they, there's one quick shot of him. He's the first monster they see when they're like <laughs> pointing off screen. Like, what's that? You know, and it cuts this black and white footage taken from the first Rodan. And then at the end of the film, when I'll have, you know, or towards the end when the, you know, the, uh, the obligatory volcano goes off, you know, and all yeah. the dinosaurs are, you know, rolling around in the lava and everybody's, you know, they, then they use even more footage. <laughs> and I'm like, how did they get away with, you know, how did they manage to get away with this at this, you know. Oh, I would love time. to know.
1: Now I've got to, I'm going to have to go back here and watch that. How did you watch it? Is it? I can't even remember if it's available on some cheap jack uh, Blu-ray or something. And
2: actually, yes. I And I wasn't, I didn't even know I had it. Uh, I mean, I just happened I usually with all these films, I'll say, I wonder if I've got this on some, like, 50 pack you know movie pack but it's I've actually it was on a 6 film DVD called Vintage Sci-Fi and it's got like 12 12 to the Moon yeah, that's Valley, right. That's right. And, and, and yeah, and Valley of the Dragons is is because you know the, the it doesn't the great thing about it, as preposterous as it is, and if it's going to be so full of stock footage, is it it keeps a nice pace. Yeah, it doesn't slow down in the well, sense the of like preposterous.
1: It's, the the preposterousness begins and ends with the story they're adapting. Oh, exactly. Even it's, it's insane. insane
2: where a comet sweeps close to Earth and sucks some guys off Earth onto their yeah, and, and they're on the comet, and the comet is like full of jungles and prehistoric monsters. Yeah. It's like yeah, if you're going to start from that premise, then we're not, There's yeah. no point. In trying to spin a rational. So so yeah, so they're 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 actually the story is entertaining. It, it it's a breezy enough, you know, passes by well enough and 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 like I said it's probably uh better than it had a, a right to be for what it is. I mean, I, I didn't hate hate watching it, you know, but I still every time Rodan was I was like <laughs> I was like, how in the world obviously Toho was not as vigilant in those days as they are now, but but what a balls, you know, to like take a <laughs> color color Japanese film and you know, but it, but it's a great you know, because well, Rodan's a great looking monster, well, especially in that question. first film.
1: If if um, this is true and they did use Rodan footage and you've not—I mean, I—I I had no idea about this, but I, we need to do like some kind of internet search and see if anybody else has like pointed this out. Yeah, has anybody? And if not like, you need to kind of write this up and at least submit this yeah. somewhere to make sure that people are aware.
2: Yeah, yeah, to say yeah, because I, I would like to. Because how, that can, how could a, that
1: be missed? Yeah. I mean, that's just insane. <laughs> no. surely somebody's written about
2: this. i have to. I know, but I was—I was—I was shocked that 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 it wasn't in Warren's book because he's he lists all the other films that it takes. Footage, footage from frame. you know and but but not that one so yeah
1: <laughs> that's crazy
2: wow
1: <laughs> all right all right uh, one other weird eurotrash film that I'll mention that I've caught in the past few weeks was a movie I've been trying to watch for uh, or meaning to watch for quite some time and I finally did uh, of course obtained it through you know much mm. right. much like right. Robin Hood and the Pirates I right, obtained it yeah. through <laughs> uh, surreptitious means <laughs> the Golden Claws of the Cat Girl.
2: Oh, great title! Uh, yeah,
1: 1968. Uh, it's uh, it's way better than that title would have you indicate.
2: <laughs> I don't know. That title sounds pretty awesome to me. <laughs> well, the,
1: well the, the, from that title alone, you would suspect that it is some kind of you know, sla- you know, kind of fairly sleazy, this, that, or the other. But from 68, you go, well, mm-hmm. how sleazy were they going to get in 68, mm-hmm. and really mm-hmm. expect to make you know, mm-hmm. make it into every theater they wanted to make it into? And what it is, it's a French film. Mm-hmm. Basically, the the main character is a uh, female cat burglar who uh, gets rooked into... who kind of gets trapped and forced into helping out doing some espionage mm-hmm. for a government that I'm assuming is the French government, but they're, they're, they're a little cagey in the dialogue. Uh, and the... Uh, so she's rooked into working with uh, another guy who's a, brand, who's a a newer agent who is, uh, by dint of having been deaf most of his uh, childhood, is, is an exceptional lip reader. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, she and this fellow are essentially uh, sent on a mission to 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 do a particular thing, and uh, this could have, this is this is the kind of story that could have really very easily have been rather silly. Mm. And in the first ten minutes, I thought, well, that's that may be the direction I'm going to go, but they do not. It's mm. actually a pretty damn solid, serious little crime movie. Wow, saddled with a title that would make you think <laughs> quite yeah. quite the opposite. Right. I mean, you yeah. know. Golden claws of the cat girl do not do, does not uh, actually scream you know right serious <laughs> serious drama yeah but uh, it has a it has a bit of a downer of an ending it mm-hmm. has uh, some serious uh, I, w- I won't say nastiness but let's just say that uh, the good guy characters aren't don't always act in nice guy ways mm-hmm. and uh, it's actually a pretty good little movie I was really surprised by it uh-huh. uh, unlike. Robin Hood and the Pirates, which is just like you got to be really forgiving. I think that <laughs> yeah, Golden yes, Clause I the Golden Claws of Cat Girl, if you ever if you're able, ever able to see it, will actually kind of surprise you. If you're a crime, if you're if you're a uh, crime slash you know Euro spy kind of uh, fan, it's a uh, it's a superior example that is a little off the beam from what it would be normally expected from that kind of genre. So, well, cool. cool. quite quite well worth seeing if you uh, if you know where to look to find <laughs> such things. All
2: right, well, awesome.
1: Uh, well, other than that, we, we can talk about other things later. But I guess what we ought to do is is uh, take a break, mm-hmm. let everybody get prepared, and we're going to settle in because tonight's movie. As I say, we, uh,
2: 30 minutes in, we're going to tell you what we're covering here tonight. <laughs> tonight's
1: movie, um, uh, suggested by a, another listener to the podcast. I hope he's happy. Uh, the Blancheville Monster from 1963. Um, described as a horror film, but I'm going to call it a, a gothic Okay, i
2: most definitely a, there you go.
1: We'll call it a gothic romance, but we'll take a quick break and then we'll come back and we'll discuss the Blancheville monster from 1963, Italy's own, Hmm. although almost the entire cast is Spanish. Right. (laughs) Almost.
0: Why, howdy, partner. How can I help you today? I'm looking for a movie to watch, but i What in tarnation was that? Never you mind, son. Now let's focus on your needs here. I'm looking for something to watch, but I want something I ain't seen yet. Ooh, watch yourself there, partner. Why, I reckon you've come to the right place. You've come to the place where the The East East meets 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 the the West. The East meets the West? Where is that, and how's that going to help me? Ooh, that was close. You better duck. I don't understand what's going on here. It's like I'm in a place where Kung-Fu and Cowboys have combined somehow. Well, that's right, partner. You're gonna find some offbeat films here, no doubt about that. Host Rigor is gonna take you on a journey to discover not only the hundreds of amazing martial arts films of Hong Kong's Shaw Brothers, but also Italy's Spaghetti Westerns. Spaghetti Westerns? Is that some kind of joke? No, sir. Western movies made in Italy from the 60s to the 80s are called spaghetti westerns, and that's a fact. You can find The East Meets the West on all the major podcasting apps, as well as HavenPodcast.com. Well, thank you kindly, sir. You done settled my entertainment needs, even though it was a tad dangerous in your store. Like I said, go to your podcasting apps or go to HavenPodcast.com. The East meets the West. Your new favourite ranch to hang out at. There are a lot of podcasts out there that do science fiction, horror and fantasy movies. But how many of them are done by somebody who's been watching this shit for half a century? Hi, my name is Terry Frost and I do the Martian Driving Podcast, a podcast where I look at silent films all the way through to movies from the second decade of the 21st century. I look at fantasy, horror and science fiction and talk about them, sometimes with the guests, sometimes by myself, but always with an eye to the stuff that maybe has slipped off your radar if it was ever on your radar. So go to marsdrivein.blogspot.com or type Martian drive Podcast into iTunes and enjoy a bit of decent genre talk. And keep watching the skies.
1: So, uh, get on up there in years, man. It's, yeah, uh, yeah. 50, was it 56 years old? Yeah. It's, it's 50 plus years old. I ain't doing accounting. Yeah. Yeah. No one told me there would be math. I know, really. I didn't, no, really, I didn't sign on for any math. So, The Blancheville <laughs> Monster, 1963. Had you ever seen this film before? I forgot I had not. I'd
2: heard of it. Uh, you know, yeah. I'd, I'd seen it referred to and, and thought it had a cool title and, you know, all my life. I've seen it and just somehow never gotten around. Well, it's not that it's been all that available, <laughs> but it just... Yeah, we'll talk about that. Yeah, really. But uh, no, so I'd I'd never seen it, but you had, right? No. Oh, you had? Here's the thing.
1: I I thought initially that I had not, and then I went through a period of time where I was was pretty sure that I had seen it, and now that I've watched it again, or I've watched it essentially to actually pay attention and make Mm -hmm. notes and Mm -hmm. think about this film, Mm -hmm. I can't be sure that I did not watch this film in some kind of drunken haze. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like you know, twenty years ago, I have no idea.
2: Yeah, well, that could be an overall uh, uh, problem. Was well, not even really necessarily a problem, but I think a tendency of uh, of these gothics we've been talking about in my how they relate to my head as far as my trying to remember which <laughs> yeah. ones. I we'll get into that a little more as we go on. Uh, some things I want to say about that, but uh, what you just said, you know, that you couldn't not being able to really remember for sure if you saw it is I can. T- there's a lot of these Italian gothics I can kind of say that about, you know, and I know why. Uh, one of the reasons is Barbara Steele even though she's not in this one she's in so many of them but there's other things because they share so many of the same visual images and, 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 and motifs you know and, and, and that sort of thing and, and themes that uh, that they tend to
1: start to blend after a while yeah. you know well I mean and I will say that there's a there's a I don't know if it was intentional or if I don't know it's just the way that, if it's just that when you start putting these characters in these costumes hmm for instance, say there's no Barbara Steele and yet at the same time, Helga Linnaeus in this looks so much like Just, Barbara Steele well, yeah. that it's freaking creepy at times. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we all we both know Helga Linnaeus, but we yeah. know Helga. I mean, no. I, I think this is probably the first time I've ever seen her in a black and white film. I
2: actually would be for, uh, yeah, that actually would be right, would be, um, I'm trying to remember if I, had, well, I had seen um, Nightmare Castle, though,
0: Oh, wait, but that's... A, yeah, because right, that is right. black
2: and white. Well, and I, that's a point I want to get yeah, to right, at some point right. in this episode, but I'll, I'll hold off a little bit. I want to talk about Nightmare Castle as it relates to this, too. But but yes, uh, she is in that and that is black and white. And I think I, I know... Obviously, I know I, I had seen that one before, so that would have been my first and probably yours, too. But yeah, well, we're, we're used to her in wondrous yeah. Spanish 70s Fleshy color, you know, is what we're used to. You <laughs> know, with each other. <laughs> you're,
1: you're dancing yeah. so carefully around
2: that. I know. It's starting to look like Lana Atwill as I was yeah, saying. Yeah, that, you really, You're being
1: really careful there. Um, yeah. Here's the thing. Before we go too far, I would like to point out that, yes, folks, this film. You, you can see this film. I found at least three different copies on YouTube, and they all oh. look roughly the same, which is crap-tastic. not great. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. Crap, tastic.
2: Not yeah. bad. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. They're bad. The problem is that unfortunately the film seems to have fallen into public domain and it's really a shame because it's very clear especially when i recount what we know about the cinematographer it's a real shame because i get the sense that behind the the crappy you know Mm -hmm. third generation 16 millimeter copy that we're probably all that we're probably all watching this thing through it, that, that's that, that's, the, that's a terrible print and it seems to me that it would be great if we could somehow get our hands on mm-hmm. a nice pristine yeah. looking version of this movie and yeah, I think and it would probably agree. up my appreciation of it considerably I think it yeah same here because as I was saying the cinematographer is Alejandro uh, Ulua and I'm, I'm sure I'm pronoun- mispronouncing mm-hmm. his name but we've probably mispronounced his name a few times yeah. including on a few commentary tracks yeah. his last name is U-L-L-O-A and I, I apologize to anyone who, uh, who was just offended by my horrible mispronunciation, <laughs> but I would like to remind you that that is a standard mm-hmm. on this show. And there's it is. not much I can it do is. about
2: it. It's one of our selling points, actually, one of our draws.
1: <laughs> one of our draws. Uh, because every time I actually get yeah. some kind of confirmation on how something is pronounced, I'm then, you know, like six months later, someone's, I've either slid back into <laughs> the horrible way I pronounce it or someone's gone, I'm not sure that that yeah. O is pronounced quite that way. <laughs> right. I think perhaps it needs an accent grave or, you know, a mm. tilde over it to make sure you see it. I have no idea. Anyway. It's
2: like that part of my throat does not exist and I've tried <laughs> to find it and it doesn't. So I, yes. can't, I can't pronounce those little squiggly things there. That...
1: Yeah, I don't know how to make the tilde sound without reversing my tongue and <laughs> ripping it up. (laughs) So the the cinematographer is a guy who uh, is rather famous for having shot an amazing array of wonderful films that we've all really enjoyed. Mm -hmm. Um, Good (laughs) Lord, man. Um, Four, uh, our man, Paul Nashe, he shot Night of the Werewolf, El Caminante, Mm -hmm. and The Cantabrians. Mm -hmm. All back to back. Uh, and of course, with the standouts there being, obviously, I think his work for Oh, uh, yeah, well he did. Uh, I'm sorry, he did Human Beasts as well.
2: He did Naked Madrid as well.
1: And he did Naked Madrid earlier. He, did, but he, so he, he shot a number of films for Nashi, and I think that his luminous work on El Caminante and uh, Night of the Werewolf are are the standouts.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, on the work he did with him. But he, he also did a lot of other stuff as well. I mean, he shot so many movies for so so many different people, including for this director he worked with repeatedly, including on the uh, the Western, A Reason to Live and A Reason to Die. He was the director of photography on Horror Express and Pancho Villa, mm. uh, Bad Man's River, God Save Me. He worked with Antonio Margariti on Mr. Super Invisible. Oh, we can, wow.
2: Well, we, can, we all have our... We can all forget it <laughs> for that.
1: <laughs> uh, Kill them all and Come Back Alone, Eagles Over London. Uh, one on top of the other. He was the DP on that Lucio Fulci film, which you have, if you have never seen, allow me to highly recommend. It's a fantastic thriller. Uh, he was the director of photography on the diabolical Doctor Z, Ooh,
2: and remember that was that was an amazing photography. Film. That yeah. looked great,
1: and that's my jumping off point yeah. to yeah. tell you that I'm pretty sure <laughs> that if we, yeah. <laughs> if we could get a good print of this movie, <clears throat> imagine how gorgeous it could look, considering and- how. Gorgeous, the Diabolical Doctor Instead D. of
2: this print, where we in times when you're like, okay, there's something white on something moving <laughs> against something black. <laughs>
1: exactly. <laughs> now, I'm going to be the doomsayer here and say that unfortunately, because there's not a whole lot of call for this film, uh, cult movie though it may be, uh, I don't know that anybody's going to go through the process of restoration to give us what I'm wishing would happen, which is right. a nice, you know, restorative, you know, high def version of this movie to see. But. I think it would be worth it. I would love to see it happen. They would get my money.
2: Yeah, I could even. Me be, too. Me too. I yeah, would. I yeah. would definitely watch watch a, a version of this and oh, had yeah. a pristine print, or even even somewhat improved print.
1: Exactly. I mean, this is not. I'm, I'm going to be up front. This is not going to be anybody's favorite. Yeah. Gothic right. film of all time, mm. but. I still think that it has points of interest. Yeah, and it, I agree. And it, yeah. it is and it is better than uh, it's better than some. I'll put mm-hmm. it that way. Mm-hmm. This one, the, this was the, this one does not fall into the trap that uh, some gothics fall into, which is that uh, I can't figure out why I'm
0: watching it. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, a lot of gothics, unfortunately, do have that. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what's called the the uh, the mid period spread?
0: Yeah, yeah, uh, that,
1: yeah, that that moment somewhere around the halfway mark, somewhere between the forty five minute mark and the one hour and ten minute mark, mm-hmm. where you're wondering, wait a minute, could they just carve that whole chunk of the movie right out <laughs> and we'd still be where we yeah. are right this second? Right. Uh, there's a there's a, a tendency for uh, even in ones that I absolutely love, like uh, mm-hmm. Castle of Blood,
2: mm-hmm.
1: there's a there's a feeling at a certain point where you're mm-hmm. just like. Do we need all this footage of people mm. walking around with the candelabras, yeah, wondering if there's something lurking in the yeah. shadows? Yeah,
2: yeah, I agree. Both versions of Castle of Blood could have used some some judicious uh, trimming there.
1: Maybe, maybe, hmm. maybe, 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 maybe. But at the same, I still time, like
2: those movies. But yeah. I know what you mean. There are times when it's just like, okay, yeah. When
1: I hit that mood, though, it, when, when one yeah. of those movies, and that's <clears throat> that's one of the joys about these movies is that if you, if you, if you hit on the right mood if you feel yourself slide into that that uh atmospheric kind of Mm. nether region where you're almost floating you're not Mm. really in touch Mm. with the couch or the chair you're sitting in Mm. and you're you're kind of really just kind of soaking it up and you're not you don't feel tired you don't feel as if you're going to doze off but you really feel like you're kind of somewhere else Mm. and where that somewhere is is somewhere between your living room and the world of the film Mm. These things really work.
2: Mm-hmm. and there You've moments, essentially become a ghost in, yeah. that, in that castle there. You're yeah, it's, it's
1: all, you're like floating and watching yeah. this thing, and yeah. you feel like you're an observer, which of course you are, mm-hmm. but you're an observer who might be able to interfere with the actions on screen. I know it sounds psychotic, but mm-hmm. there's, just, there's a mood that some films, some mm-hmm. Franco movies elicit no. this particular mood as well, without necessarily being gothics, where no. you just kind of get swept up in a kind of dreamlike state, where it takes you and uh, moves you in such a way that you're, 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 you're somewhere between fully conscious mm-hmm. and a dream. You're, you're not really in either state because you're conscious of what you're doing and you're aware that you're looking at something. But yeah. it becomes this weird, weird feeling, and this movie accomplishes that for me at least a mm-hmm. couple of times. But. Well, you it's fighting you at several instances because the movie unfortunately looks so bad
2: mm-hmm. um yeah
1: like I said I don't, this is this isn't gonna be my favorite gothic of all time yeah. and it does have that middle section of the film where you start to go <sighs> okay so wait a minute mm-hmm. what is happening here and then the central mystery kind of gets laid on the table for you mm-hmm. so that's off that that's gone but it smartly introduces another yeah. problem
2: yeah. So, it kind of starts to, in the last third, begin to start subverting your expectations and start yes. doing some interesting things with the story, which is what really kind of elevates the film a little more for me. It was kind of, you know, it gets to a point where it starts starts finally, instead of seeing like a film that may, looks like it may almost be too much by the formula, start to twist some things and start to yes. surprise you. And that's, you know. But
1: that's, that's when it what, gets pretty darn interesting, I yeah. have to say. Bizarrely, I, one of the people who. who got a writing credit on this is bruno corbucci right yeah and uh corbucci of course speaking of gothics i mean he he mm. he also co-wrote castle's Castle blood, blood. Yeah. the very next year mm-hmm. and so it's not as if uh the people involved in this weren't aware of what they were doing i do think it's interesting that uh the director alberto Di Martino he insisted he insisted that to him genre was always secondary What he was trying to do was make good stories on screen, and to him, genre wasn't was like a secondary consideration for whatever kind of story he was trying to tell. Mm -hmm. He was never he had some he had some harsh things to say about this movie before he kind of went back and reviewed the movie. He was I found a a great interview with him in the book Darkening the Italian Screen: Interviews with Genre and Exploitation Filmmakers, and it's this great thing where clearly the, the Alberto Di Martino had gone back and rewatched some of the movies that he'd made over the years that he was less familiar with uh-huh. and he was impressed. He went, he went back to watch uh, The Blanchville Monster and he'd really kind of denigrated the movie over the years uh, in certain ways and, then he, uh-huh. he, and it, it was neat because he's, he went back and he says, I was never fond of it but recently I got to see it again and actually it isn't bad. There are some cute things in it mm-hmm. and as a matter of fact he he seems like he's a little more Mm-hmm. He was he was surprised that the movie had kind of turned into a bit of a cult film, mm-hmm. but then of course most black and white yeah. gothics made in the nineteen sixties kind of are cult films by their nature, right? And uh, he was kind of surprised to look back at it and and be be impressed with what they accomplished because it was a very low budget film. On yeah. It was like six yeah. six million lira <coughs> six million lira was the budget, mm. and I did some quick math trying to figure out what that would be. And trust me, that ain't a lot it's of money. not much <laughs> ain't a lot of money. As a matter of fact, I don't think if they. If they if they if they had not been able to film at that uh, in that Madrid state, uh, oh estate. yeah, well, you've got yeah, Saint Martin de Valdeglaceus, I think yeah, Saint Martin uh, mm-hmm. de, de Valiglacias it, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, Mar- and I'm probably mispronouncing that as well. But if they've not been able to film there, where a lot of other movies oh, yeah. have been filmed over the years. It's they like, probably would not have been able to that make that budget kind of stretch.
2: It's that classic instant scenery thing. I mean, yep. you have just got these wonderful ruined abbey to just wander around in. You know, where countless film movies have been filmed, but you never get tired of seeing them. And they're just, again, yep. they're just instant, instant atmosphere right there.
1: Well, the uh, the the fun thing is that uh, okay, so it's it's sixty three. Yeah. If you've seen this movie, once you see this movie, you realize really hard and fast that they're drawing on a lot of different elements from Edgar Allan Poe stories. As a matter oh, of yeah. fact, part of the ballyhoo for this thing. Uh, one, one of, okay, first of all, one of the alternate titles of the movie was just horror. Yeah, <laughs> with Edgar Allan Poe's name above <laughs> the word horror. in mm-hmm. and, in and, 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 like the poster art and things.
2: And like fact, that. In fact, in the prints you saw, did that? It, did that come up on the? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah because it flashes. It just okay, flashes real quick. You get both quick.
1: titles. Yeah, you, 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 you do. Titles.
2: And to the minute that I thought before, I realized it was before knowing that it was a um, that it was an alternate title. I thought that they had somehow. Spliced in part of a trailer because <laughs> that because it just pops up horror you know and you're thinking like it looks like a and then it goes yeah. away and then the actual title pops up like, what the hell was that but you're right it somehow ended up with both titles the,
1: title. <laughs> the Blanchville monster is probably a decent title although I could I mean mm. maybe the the Blanchville castle or I don't know anything I, I
2: will say this if I would if if I'd seen this as a little kid I probably would've been pretty disappointed by the quote unquote monster. monster so yeah. it's yeah not 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 the most terrifying uh you know monster so yeah something more like the Blanchville curse might have been a better uh, yeah, title yeah, or cur- yeah. yeah
1: Now we'll say or curse
2: of the story. De Blancabiles or whatever <laughs> they call themselves in the pens like the, yeah, the, yeah.
1: Th- This story does draw fairly heavily from because obviously, what they were trying to do was kind of ape the success of the the Corman Poe films. Mm, yeah, because by you know starting in nineteen sixty, those things were box office bonanzas. Yeah, Alberto Di Martino does point out that the reason the movie was shot in black and white was a purely a budgetary choice. Mm. Uh, it was not. It was not. They were not aiming for a black and white gothic feel. And yeah, that was from you know from the beginning. It's just like we we <laughs> it's can't afford to give us yeah. color. And uh, although. I think I think it's pretty obvious that they're tr- they're drawing on what Corman was doing with those Poe films, both in this you know lo- this having a whole lot of the Fall of the House of Usher mm-hmm. kind of built into it, the way that the way this the way this thing plays out, along with you know little bits and pieces from other things as well. DiMartino uh, says flat out that what he was aiming for, and if you know this and are watching the film and the way he shoots things. That what he was looking toward uh, for inspiration for what he how he was going to shoot this stuff was actually the way Hitchcock shot things, mm-hmm. which makes a lot of sense yeah. because the way he's building it, no matter what you're doing, if you're making if you're making something that's a thriller of any type, if you wanna if you wanna follow somebody's lead, Hitchcock is someone definitely to go for. Yeah. So, the uh, the the joys of this are going to be the variations on a theme for anybody who's a fan of this stuff and is well versed mm-hmm. in the genre, but uh, I think that. There are, I have to say, I, coming to this cold. in such a shitty print.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, sometimes I think it would be very easy for somebody to watch this and just not be impressed at all. Right. That. Right. Because there's this hu- there is a huge barrier of that terrible, the terrible, terrible prints that you yeah. that you have to watch. Uh, I mean, I even noticed that the, the the I think the print one of the two prints that I watched online on YouTube. Uh, is very obviously ripped right off of a uh, Mill Creek DVD. Oh, really? because right at the end of the movie, I could see there. There's the that menu screen pops up just before just before it clicks away. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh Jesus Christ! Okay. Before we get off of uh, the director, uh, have you ever seen any of Alberto Di Martino's other films?
2: I'm sure I have, but I, yes, I, or, or just, yeah. Well, we'll go ahead. L- and take, l- let's just yeah, say. Uh, read out some of them and see, because I probably, I certainly knew the name.
1: Well, here's the thing. Uh, he made a handful of, well, more than a handful, really, but he made uh, some peplums. And some of them I know I've seen, but I can't remember them because mm-hmm. I've seen them years ago. Like Gladiator. You're, not, you're gl- not
2: suggesting that genre ever blends together. <laughs> yeah, no, not. no not.
1: Gladiator 7, mm-hmm. Medusa against the Son of Hercules. Yeah. Uh, 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 let's see The Triumph of Hercules Mm -hmm. Minotaur The Wild Beast of Crete now I know I've seen that because that title stands out but then he also made a few spaghetti westerns uh, including Django Sheets First which I have memories of and uh, several crime films Mm -hmm. Uh, but uh, he did a couple of Euro Spy films one of which is a real standout Special Mission Lady Chaplain Mm -hmm. which is a really good little film from 66 he kind of he's kind of one of those journeymen who was able to do just all kinds of different movies across all different genres. so it's not that much of a shock that he would look upon you know his career and think that it wasn't that big a deal. He also, by the way, was the man who directed uh, OK Connery. Mm -hmm. the Eurospy film that had Neil Connery, Sean Connery's brother. Yes, yes, God,
2: oh my God, yeah. I've heard of that one. I've not seen it, but I've heard of that one, yeah. Yeah,
1: let let, let me say (laughs) that that the the interview where they're talking about Neil Connery Mm -hmm. is really amusing. Oh, I bet. Because, yeah, he was not an actor. (laughs) He was not an actor. The, uh... (laughs) But the, the one that I think a lot of people should, uh... There are two movies that he did in the 70s that, um... Probably he's best known for these days. Nineteen seventy-four, he made the movie *The Antichrist*, mm, okay. which is a very interesting and serious film. Mm-hmm. Kind of another. Mm-hmm. It's kind of an obvious variation on mm-hmm. what you would expect films yeah. to be made in, in, the, the, 70s, in the wake the, of *The in, Exorcist*. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah, it's, it's definitely. A, I
2: would think oh, more of *The Omen*, would like, said that yeah. No, this is before *The Omen*, Omen.
1: was two, *The Omen* was two years later.
2: So. Okay,
1: but the biggie, the one that I. Actually, have on Blu-ray right now mm. under a different title. Well, I'll just go by the title. It's on Blu-ray, uh, "The Chosen," also known as "Holocaust 2000" with Kirk Douglas. Okay. Yes. Now, if you've never seen this movie, allow me to highly recommend it. Yeah. Because it's Kirk Douglas. He throws himself completely into it. Mm. It's. A batshit crazy film.
2: I feel like I've seen at least parts of this, and I don't think I've ever seen the whole film. But I think I remember, you know, seeing seeing and remembering it as being just insane.
1: <laughs> it it kind of is. Mm-hmm. Kirk Douglas's son turns out to be the Antichrist. It's yeah. really it's, it's crazy.
2: Yeah, I, I know. I've seen at least parts of this.
1: Well, I think I just run the movie. Uh-huh, I'm whoops, sorry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't.
2: that's the yeah, yeah.
1: But the Topper, the film that. Damn near bankrupted him completely. Mm-hmm. It's the film he made in
2: 1980
1: called Puma Man. <laughs> Ooh, that's a Yeah, that was <laughs> a step down. Now, Puma <laughs> Man's a bit of a step down. And it's kind of a sad, bit of a sad story when you realize that that's that it, that it really kind of shit-canned his career uh, in a lot of ways.
2: This film was actually, uh, that we're talking about tonight, it's pretty early on in his film. Oh, yeah. It's just like his yeah. fourth, or, fourth or fifth film, something yeah. seems like, I yeah. think. Yeah. So, yeah.
1: But yeah, it says in uh, 1980, DiMartino really lost his home when his film The Puma Man failed at the box office.
2: Hmm. Now, he made how a few, could it with a name like that?
1: How, he, yeah, he, he, made a few more film, he made a few more films after that, but I, I don't know if the stank of Puma Man ever left him. So
2: How did people not just flock to see Puma Man? He was, <laughs> was clearly a man ahead
1: of his time. George. Yeah, yeah. A man yeah. ahead uh, of his time. his time. Yes, he was. So, <laughs> the... Uh, the thing about him is that uh, every one of his films that I'm that I'm aware of, he made that I'm that I'm that I'm sure mm-hmm. I've seen, I remember enjoying, mm-hmm. including this one. Although I don't think it's great, I think yeah. it I, I think it I think it's an enjoyable thing mm-hmm. for what it is.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: As a matter of fact, I have to say that all the ones that I can remember, this is the one that I like the least. Because <laughs> I can tell you right now, those peplums. If 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 I remember yeah. those peplums correctly, I really enjoyed them. The Chosen yeah. or Holocaust yeah. Two Thousand, whichever title you want to call it under. I really, I really remember it. enjoying. And Puma Man is insane. Terrible. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong. It's terrible. But still enjoy the hell out yeah. of it. <laughs> but the, the thing about this, and I'm gonna, this is a wonderful quote, and I mm-hmm. think that now that you've seen The Blanchfield Monster, this quote yeah. from the director will probably tell you everything you need to know okay. about his approach to storytelling, and especially this story. He says, my films are a bit melodramatic. I always want there to be some watery eyes in the audience, mm-hmm. and you can see it, you can see what he's going yeah. with by the yeah. end of this movie. It's like yeah, yeah, he's wanting he's wanting to he's wanting to yeah. to, to kick those tear ducts into yeah. gear, maybe. <laughs> and uh, I think I think that's I think that's great. I mean, the yeah. the, the having read this interview with him, uh, it really is kind of an eye opener to a guy who, honestly, I'd seen I've seen a number of his films, that I'd never really given much mm-hmm. thought to so. it's... It's kind of cool in that way.
0: My lord, I am a doctor, and I don't see any reason why my interest in magnetism or hypnotism should need any justification. I'm sure that you will admit that Mesmer's book may have aroused a certain curiosity, fantasy, It's Alice. My lord, believe The art of hypnotism is now recognized by many doctors and may one day be a part of medical study, despite the barriers of an ignorant society. I truly hope you haven't been using my sister Emily as a guinea pig for your experiments, because if you have been, you'll You're have. You're
1: wrong. Well, let's take a stab at running through the plot synopsis for this and see where we end up, because okay. this has, this has its points of interest, and I think it's best to tease them out a little bit at a time. Okay, so uh, uh, we have the beautiful Emily de Blancheville uh, returning to her ancestral castle at the beginning of the movie. Uh, it's in Brittany in the year 1884. Mm-hmm. She just finished her, uh, her years in college and is coming home. She hasn't been there in a while. She's very excited to see her brother again. But when she gets there, she discovers that her house, or her home, I should say, has drastically changed. Her brother is now in charge of the estate and the servants and the maids, who were almost like part of the family, have died and have been replaced by new staff members, staff members who are cold and unfamiliar. Her father, while she was away at college, passed away. This this this, this horrible news is, of course, quite a blow to her. But coming since she's coming back, is she's, she's accompanied by her uh, American school friend Alice, and Alice's brother John. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now John is. Uh, Emily's soon-to-be fiancé. It's mm-hmm. clear that that is the way things are going. They make this very clear when they when uh, they're introduced to her brother.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, but it's a tough <clears> one <throat> coming for, for Emily, as she as it turns out, her brother uh, Roderick, played by Gerard Tichy, you know, reports that her father's dead, and most upsetting is that the things that seem to make that house a home for Emily. Really aren't there, and that would be yeah. two two specific servants that are <clears throat> no longer there for whatever reason. The new housekeeper is especially someone that she's a little uh, mm-hmm. taken aback by Miss Eleanor, played by Helga Linney, mm-hmm. who's this very severe woman who, uh, who's replaced.
2: <laughs> I'm, who's? <laughs> I'm laughing because the word I was hearing in my head that I was going to use was severe. I was going to really? say. I was going to say if there is one word that her every that describes her dress or hair or oh, every from hair the back so 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 hard <laughs> that it's like
1: pulling your face out of pulling your face out of shape.
2: And 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 very few people can glare and look haughty and austere than then like Helga can, you yeah, know, and so it's she's pulling that she's playing that Helga to to the max here, you know. This so, is true. She so, says so I'm just going to stand off and, and glare at everybody. Well But this is also for talking about got this is a classic gothic uh, setup as uh, the returning prodigal son or daughter yeah. from coming back to a family home after years, and 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 finding, you know, you know, every, everything's changed, yes. and, not,
1: and not just because mm. the parental units have passed away, and the in the interim, no, 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 something else is horribly wrong. Yeah. Now,
0: mm-hmm.
1: we won't. Uh, we won't drag this out the way the film does not necessarily because Mm -hmm. uh, and of course everybody plans to stay you know the the, the guests plan to stay in this palatial estate with Mm -hmm. them for you know a Mm -hmm. month or so um, in the first place so they're going to be there for a while so after a few days uh, Emily's friend Alice uh, gets up in the night because she she hears some horrible noises Mm -hmm. and she she wanders around the place and Stumbles into a room where Miss Eleanor, that'd be Helga Lanay's character, has a syringe, and there's this horribly disfigured man on a bed <laughs> uh-huh. that she's clearly about to just stab <laughs> with this freaking syringe who's been making this horrible noise. And of course, the woman just, you know, passes out and freaks out the whole nine yeah. yards. It's like, well, you know, exactly what you'd expect in Gothic. Oh yeah. my lord, it's such a horrible idea. <laughs> well, also. Uh, of course, it's too tight. <laughs> Although, I was almost like this <laughs> that actress. Uh, was it Uh, Iran uh, Eora Mm. she weren't wearing no corset in that Mm. and that is let me just say that a cleaned up print of this film would involve some nudity (laughs) (laughs) some very clear nudity as that that shift that nightgown Mm. she's walking around in carrying those candles is fairly see through.
2: Well, and you just said that word too that uh, no Gothic is complete without is nightgown. You know, it's yes. like the, the, I was thinking the nightgown is the Gothic, what black gloves are to Giallo's. You know, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> you see it's like, you know,
1: and, and, I didn't well,
2: well, the combination, you know, it's it's, it's the, yes, the yeah, diaphanous yeah, uh, nightgown and the candelabra, put those together, and you are in Gothic. You are there's no question, you are in a Gothic.
1: Yeah, diaphanous gowns. That's, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of a, Yeah, it kinda almost has to be there in a way, doesn't it? It does. Without that you're almost you're almost Mm -hmm. missing the most obvious thing. Yeah. Yeah, And
2: and there's some points in this print when that's literally all you can see and you know, it's just that white (laughs) gown. And sometimes it's almost effective because of it's such a poor print. There's some just later in the film we get some far-off views of, you know, wandering outside, women wandering outside in these white nightgowns, and that's all you see is just that white nightgown moving through that black, you know, forest there. So (laughs) Well now,
1: before we go on, the lady playing Alice uh, do you know where else we've seen her?
2: Uh, tell me, tell me. I think I had it in my notes too, but you can she refresh me. My...
1: She played Monica in the last Kamikaze.
2: Yes, that is right. That is right. The last Kamikaze, she was in. Yes. And I hate
1: to say it, but I think that may be the only other place I've ever seen her.
2: Yeah, she had like 90 credits, but I don't think I saw really anything else. And and uh, she's she's uh, not she's, hard. She's not hard on the eyes. That's for sure.
1: No, very, very pretty woman. Uh, did a did a lot of a lot of television. Mm-hmm. Uh, as, she, as she moved into her middle age and so I'm assuming that she's uh, just as well off as she wants to be mm-hmm. but I was really surprised to realize that we saw her years later yeah, in a Paul yeah. Nashie
0: film.
1: <laughs> but of course before we go on uh, uh, Roder- Roderick which is nice uh, of course a very nice uh, a yeah, little, little Poe uh, a, a reference, little Poe there. reference uh, there to the uh, to the Usher story, of course, uh, played by Gerard Tishi, who, of course, we've seen in a number yes of I mean, Paul Nashie films. films. Uh, let's films. see, let's see, we got the Lord Inquisition, Knight of the Werewolf. Mm-hmm. Uh, where else will we see? Beast in the Magic Sword. He's oh, in. that's right, he's in Beast in the Magic Sword. He's in The Hanging Woman. And so Gerard Tishi is one of those actors who uh, I gotta say though you have to pay attention because he's not oh like, he
2: doesn't look like yeah he he's doesn't not look
1: anymore. he, he, he metamorphizes he man he, he, he does. looks different almost every time out I agree uh, It's it, which is really cool. it's, it's not like uh, it's not like Victor Israel which, where he's <laughs> so just, just like those
2: yeah oh, there's Victor can't, can't there there disguise is. those eyes that's Victor you know, right
1: yeah, yeah. oh there he is, yeah. there he is. <laughs> lurking in the background oh there yeah. he is there he's probably the villain yeah he's probably no good Even if he's not the villain he's a he, you keep an eye on him.
2: he's at least the creepy gardener or something you know, yes so. <laughs>
1: he's, he's he's like peeping through keyholes or something I'm telling you now. <laughs> yeah. if it's Victor Israel on screen yeah. you better watch out
2: I <laughs> always cracked me up I'm sorry but I was always thinking when I think of Victor Israel just his ability his propensity you know tendency to do anything everywhere everything is that one scene he has in hell of the living dead where he's just the zombie priest you know where they wander in yeah. the church and that may have been the first time I ever saw Victor Israel for that matter, but when he turns around and because I saw you know and he and he turns around he's just his possessed zombie and he has this one scene where he you know goes goes chasing the the cast till you know, but that's his only thing and just just proof there that then you later yeah. find out this guy made hundreds of films and had actual speaking parts and many character roles, but that just tells you right there that he just called him up, hey, Victor, we need a zombie for the scene. Can you do it? Sure. We I'll be need to, right to play right a
1: murderous today. priest. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, I have not thought about it. I, I don't, man, I don't know. Why are we talking about Victor Israel? Why am, I, why am I bringing him up? Let's, let's come on. Because the, the, you just, how can you not? Yeah. I, yeah, I know. I just start talking about Victor Israel. It's crazy. But there's enough in this to talk about. The there, there is, there is. The, the, okay, well, let's talk a little bit about the the woman, the rather attractive woman who plays the main character, Emily. Mm. Uh, Umbrella Coley mm-hmm. uh, quite an interesting lady and one that I had not seen in anything at all before this at least I don't think that's
2: not totally true she is apparently in now it's been years since I saw this too but she's in War Between the Planets
1: oh wait I'm sorry that's right uh, and I just uh, you're right she's actually in the last two Antonio Margariti Gamma 1 films mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Snow Devils and War Between the Planets mm-hmm. so yes I had seen her in those Uh Uh, And and one other film that I would like to single out, which is an absolutely fantastic movie, either known as The Slave or uh, The Son of Spartacus, Hmm. which is an absolutely fantastic Sergio Corbucci peplum film starring Steve Reeves. She has a small role in it, uh, but it's a a memorable one. She's an Egyptian slave girl in it. Hmm. And if you ever get the chance to see the movie... Uh, I believe uh, Warner Archives has made it available on DVD okay. and cool. it is well worth it much better than I thought it was going to be I just, I just like Peplum, so I just i yeah, yeah. wow I'll, I'll <clears throat> check, this, check this one out and uh, yeah. man it's a, it's a good I, I thought it might have a chance of being better than average because it was directed by Sergio Corbucci and I was right mm. but she's in that as well so uh, yeah I've seen her in three movies and there are a few other movies on her list once again you get into those, uh, those Peplum titles And you're not sure. It's like have
2: I I seen (laughs)
1: Goliath and the Rebel Slave,
2: or was it the Rebel Slave and Hercules? I saw. What is it? You know, it's like it's just.
1: (laughs) Was it a different title? Like, be sure? Yeah.
2: Was it the Seven Gladiators or the the Eight (laughs) Minotaur's Meet the? But
1: regardless, uh, Miss Coley, um, she was an Italian actress, but she's one of the she's one of the Italian one of the few Italians in this (laughs) because it's mostly a Spanish cast. Mm -hmm. I think Gerard Tichy was French, Uh, but. she only made uh, a handful of movies. She was only in about uh, 20 or so movies yeah. over the course of her very short career. She uh, she took a major break between the late 60s and the mid-70s and started working again in about 75, 76. And then would just occasionally do something here and there. Definitely the kind of career that either shows you that she didn't need the money or was just you know bored and wanting to do something. Who knows? Who I knows? don't know.
2: But she makes for a very nice lead here. Makes for a very, you know. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, you know you you could you, you have said uh you've said the word, the phrase easy on the eyes and that's yeah, true but also yeah. she's she's actually pretty good in the movie yeah. i don't think i don't think she's uh i don't think she's one of those uh, she's not one of those things where you run across uh an actress and you're going wow they really should have recast <laughs> yeah, right. she's not she's not that she's actually no, pretty, no. she's actually pretty good but uh <laughs> Yeah, let's talk a little bit about the sinister El oh, a character.
2: Oh yes, please, because I've got things to say about yes, Eleanor. Well, first of all, Eleanor.
1: The director knew what he was doing because oh, yeah. we're introduced to the character mm-hmm. with her at the top of a staircase, oh, yeah. glaring yeah. down, almost as if, I almost am more as if superi- I'm
2: superior to all of you. <laughs> well,
1: here's another thing. Okay, so we were just introduced to the her to the uh, to Emily's brother who mm. come, you know comes down the stairs and is, mm. is so happy to, mm. to to see his sister. And then just a moment later, like a, like a beat later, he goes, oh, and uh, let me introduce you to the new, you know, the, the, the uh, housekeeper or whatever.
2: Housekeeper is what I just referred to. I can't, I
1: can't remember. but and, and he gestures up, and she's at the top of the stairs now as well, where, which is where he was. And there's this, and because of the look on her face, I was like, did they just get interrupted having sex? Because she looks like a woman who's kind of freaking pissed. Yeah,
2: she does not look pleased at all.
1: Yeah. I'm like, I don't know <laughs> uh, um, Well... So we spend the middle part of the movie where uh, we we're wondering, he's like, okay, so they spend a, a, a little mm-hmm. bit of time convincing poor Alice that she didn't really see some disfigured man, yeah, right? And then about ten minutes pass in the movie, and they're just like, okay, we can't keep the secret anymore. Yes, there is a disfigured <laughs> man here, and it's actually our, it's actually <laughs> Emily and Roderick's uh, father who didn't die in this yeah. terrible fire, but was hideously disfigured, mm-hmm. and they mm-hmm. have to keep, they have to keep. Uh, Shooting him up with uh,
2: with paint medication. Now we need to have we mentioned the I think our last remaining character to mention the doctor and now LaRouche oh, Who yes. is okay, so who is who is the you know, and again, this is everybody every even the old doctor is gone. There's a new doctor, you yep. know, just like there was new cer- you know, housekeeper and new you know, there's a new doctor. Uh, his name is LaRouche. Yep. And he and Helga Linet have a lot of you know, he and Eleanor, the housekeeper, have a lot of significant glances and a in cryptic a cryptic little words to each other that suggest that there's something going on that they know, and nobody else knows. Something does. is going something on, between, is going the on between the two of them.
1: That, that actress, uh, Leo. I'm mean, gonna horribly mispronounce. I think
2: that. you said actress. You mean actor. I'm, sorry, I'm <laughs>
1: sorry, that, The actor playing the doctor is Leo yeah. Mm-hmm. He's a he's a Spanish actor, as are most of the actors in the movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've seen him, and I've seen a couple of movies that he's in. But I'll be honest, I, I didn't recognize his face. I've yeah. seen uh, Bullet for Sandoval, Kill Them All, and Come Back Alone. And uh, I've definitely seen uh, *Sandokan the Great*, which is uh, a fun, a fun little Umberto Lindsay, uh, Steve Ree- Steve Reeves film. Once again, mm-hmm. it's a, a a kind of uh, Arabian adventure kind of story. And uh, I've seen the movie and thoroughly enjoyed it. It's available on a, a not too great DVD for those curious about not too great DVDs. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the movie's worth seeing. It's not okay. uh, it's not gonna it's not gonna blow your skirt up, but it's yeah. pretty good. Cool. I've not seen. He was, he was in about forty movies, and uh, when his career ended, it ended. But I don't know uh, a lot about him. He's, he's quite good at the uh, the looking to the left and looking to the right as if he's doing something suspicious. Yes, yes. <laughs> Until we get to the end of the film and you realize, well, he's not really doing anything suspicious. I don't know what the hell's going on here.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. And when, it starts to, when you start to get your expectations for certain characters and what certain relationships are going to play out, don't the way you think they're going to. And it's actually where it all starts to become kind of more intriguing that way.
1: Now, once they give up and, and Roderick confesses to his sister that their father mm-hmm. is still alive but he's hideously disfigured uh, that's not even the worst part I mean no. see, she seems like she you know mm-hmm. after a little bit being upset she seems to be able to absorb that pretty easily and then they drop the bomb <laughs> yes which is that it's not just that he's disfigured mm-hmm. and that he's in pain and that he makes these horrible noises at night I mean we can get used to that right mm-hmm. but also he's become completely convinced yeah. that we cannot allow you to breathe <laughs> Look at specifically, yes. Emily. We, can't allow, yes, we yes. cannot allow we cannot allow you to breed, <laughs> or the entire family will cease to exist.
2: I no, Yes, this this I was thinking. This, yes, we get the family curse. Yes, which I mean, Paul Nashie would be proud of this curse. and know, it is, it a good is so curse. it is so it is so complex and strange and off the I wall. Yeah, you listen. He's explaining. And you're like, what, 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 what? You know, Is just I like, know. she can't turn twenty one. Uh, There's like, if a female in the family turns, turns twenty one, then the whole is like, it's <laughs> like,
1: what are we doing here? What is the whole freaking idea? Because, because, see, her birthday is just days away. Right. Right. And uh, okay, I have to admit, one of the strangest moments in this film that I actually <laughs> actually like backed up and watched repeatedly was when the was when the maid drops the happy birthday cake on the floor with the candles in it. And I'm just looking at that, and going, "1884, is this how we did this? Back then? <laughs> yeah. Because I mean, it's it's a great shot of the cake yeah. hitting the floor, and I just it, it seems too modern. It seems like 1963. Now. I don't know what it is. Anyway. Sometimes things take me yeah. out of the movie yeah, they, for the wrong yeah. reasons, but once that turn is made and you realize that, oh, okay, so the setup, the setup for the for the uh, the third <laughs> act of this movie <laughs> mm-hmm. is going to be: does the father are they able to like wrangle the father and keep him pinned up, mm-hmm. or does he murder his own daughter?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, we won't give that away because I think we should leave a little bit of mystery in here. But I will say that included in this movie are a pre- there's a there's a there's a premature burial so yet another mm-hmm. Edgar Allan Poe kind of <clears throat> kind of thing mm-hmm. added on to things we've got a, a pretty cool dream sequence at one point we've got family members going mad the, the you know the father that shit crazy
2: well you know early on you're uh, you're, you're pretty much not just the father, but I mean, you 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 sort of have an inkling that that Roderick something's going wrong, not not up, not right with with Roderick because he plays piano, and we all know what that signifies in Gothic. Too sits <laughs> yes. down at his piano or harpsichord, whatever it was, and just I, I was sitting there. Was, I even said my notes. I, I wrote a note that said like. Is it was there ever an instrument better suited to convey madness than a piano? <laughs> because the reason well, why
1: or is it is it a piano, or is maybe it's a harpsichord, harps maybe a harpsichord. Harps harps I think it's a
2: harpsichord, but harps somewhere that's, that's why yes. Lurch
1: plays the harpsichord. Yes, yes, yes because
2: there's just there's yes because you can just make so many insane. And when Roderick just sits there and does these crazy flourishes on there, you just know yeah. like okay, yeah, he's he's not he's he's a little unhinged.
1: He's clearly unhinged. Also, I'd like to point out that there are a number of scenes where uh, Gerard Tichy looks very yeah. much very much like Vincent Price. Like oh, they're trying to yeah. make him look like Vincent Price. Right, right. A lot.
2: Yeah. Now, through the first part of the film, there's this growing kind of romance for between Alice and Roderick, sort of, and yeah. it's always a little hard. To, I never quite bought the, like, not really sure what she... <laughs> not that he's not, not a handsome guy, but, you know, it's just like he's so cold and weird and, and kind of irritable, and, you know, it's 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 uh, her, her falling for... Alice's is falling for Roderick. Never quite, quite felt. They couldn't quite buy that one. You know, it was a little strange to me.
1: Yeah, you know, I understand. That's yeah. I agree with you, but the uh, I, I, I gotta say, I mean, if you're if you're if you're ranking this, like I say, we're not going to go into too much detail mm. because it's so easy mm. to see. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that I think that um, the the movie does boast some some really well done sequences. Like I said, yeah. I don't yeah. think anybody's ever going to mistake this as like one of the best that was ever done, but. It has some really good stuff in it. The uh, the scene where Alice, you know, holding up a candelabra, ventures upstairs and see and mm-hmm. you know stumbles into the room where Helga Lene right. is with the disfigured man. Mm-hmm. That, it, that's by the way that's being done during a, a thunderstorm, which just adds to the atmosphere mm-hmm. and to the to the you know there's thunder crashing and light you know lightning flashing. So it's a really great, mm-hmm. typical, exactly what you expect. Yeah, for a castle set gothic storyline, and that's really well done. Yeah. I, I like it a whole lot. We have the uh, the sequence where Emily is walking entranced in her see-through nightgown, uh, her see-through nightgown, and, ground, uh, and uh, kind of walking in front of her father who's following her. Yeah. And they go out to the family tomb. That's another great gothic sequence. Yeah, I did like that. Um, <clears throat> Emily's uh, surrealistic dream sequence is a blast. That's yeah, really and, good,
2: and it felt very Corman-esque too. In fact, yes. I even told my notes. I said, "Get a little, a little bit of a Corman-esque dream sequence there exactly. with, with the fog, you know, fog and the kind of yeah." That's definitely was uh, influenced by. it. But yeah, but I like it though. It's very cool. Well,
1: I like it quite a bit. I think I think it's a standout in the movie. And uh, the the funeral the funeral procession leading to Emily's uh, shall we say premature entombment yeah. is also a really great sequence. Yeah, very well filmed.
2: Yeah, and they actually kind of uh, look like it's kind of influenced a little bit by um, have you ever seen uh, Drayers uh, Vampire or Vampir yes. or whatever go the German you know with the looking the kind of point of view from the coffin looking up all the faces looking over. And I was gonna ask you, did you were you fooled at all for a second that she was really dead, or did you immediately realize it? Did pick up on? As far as the
1: well, that's the thing. The way the movie is set up, uh, the first time, the first time through, this time, mm-hmm. uh, I was I was just trying not to jump to jump ahead because if she's dead, mm-hmm. well, then what's the madman character going? You know what? What's where are we going with this? Yeah. What are they going to do? Yeah. So there's a part of me that wondered just what you know once they place mm-hmm. the once they place the uh, the coffin inside the mm-hmm. uh, the crypt. There was a part of me that wondered. Well, wait a minute. How long are we going to stick around inside this crypt, and what's mm. going to happen here? Yeah. So I'm not sure if I really thought she was dead or not. Yeah. But I just I just saw it as another. Uh, I saw it as another step along the, 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 the kind of gothic tropes that this movie was marching its way through. Yeah, it,
2: it had me going. I mean, I really thought that they had really killed off, you know, a major oh, really? character. I mean, for a few, for you a few know, minutes. I think it was maybe about halfway through the kind of funeral procession. I started, to, like, kind of thinking, wait a minute, this is where we are, you know, we're Poe. This is, you know, it's a gothic, you know, I think there's something else going on here. But for a minute, they had me going there. I really thought they had, like, killed off one of the major. Characters there, so it was the whole thing was kind of well done, pretty well set up.
1: I I, I think it's pretty well done. I think it's I think that uh, there's a there's a lot to be impressed with here. Mm -hmm. The uh, I got to say, I think that a a lot of people who come to this, even fans who are coming to this because they're looking for a gothic horror film, probably going to find it a little too tame and a little too boring. Mm -hmm.
2: And first, I think in the early part of the film, it especially almost seems like it's. It's it's uh planted it a little too safe or a little bit too much by the numbers and you know, the music in the early part yeah. of the film really distracted me a lot. Like it's I think it's probably mostly library cues, a lot of it or, or, or some of it is I'm maybe not but sure. I mean it's but it it almost as overused at points there. Not like where he's playing the harpsichord, but I mean the incident yeah. you know, the music yeah. that there's there's actually a couple of weird parts of film where it almost where they almost the characters appear to almost be reacting to the Music, you know, that's often yeah, yeah. weird moments like that where for a second I'm thinking, did they? I thought they were actually hearing music on screen. I realized it was just the soundtrack, but sometimes the soundtracks used to punctuate things a little too much early on in the film. You know, if somebody says something, you know, when he yeah. says, like, uh, you know, the old servant is no longer here, or something and it's dun dun or whatever, but then it kind of draws it, kind of drops that. It doesn't get, and then as the movie goes on and you start getting more and more of the story, it starts doing less and less of that. They kind of pull back, but early oh, yeah, on in the true. film, that's the music true. to me was a little too overdone. You know, and I it, say that. is it? But they, yeah.
1: Well, I think that for for a lot of people, there, there's a they're going to find problems with the pace, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. which is a standard complaint that a lot of people will have with these kinds of go, these kinds yeah. of movies in the first place. Sure. Which is that these things are they're not always what I would call slow burns because mm-hmm. I don't really think that there's a way to refer to. I don't think you you'd, you'd be correct in describing the Roger Corman Poe films as slow burns because I really don't think they are. No. But. In general, the black-and-white gothics mm-hmm. have a tendency to be slow, creeping, yeah. atmospheric, yeah. moody pieces that then have, like usually bursts of violence Mm -hmm. you know in other words the the film is setting you up and kind of lulling you into a Mm -hmm. a a, a kind of complacent mindset and then slapping you with something either either violence or some weird reveal or some unexpected twist Mm -hmm. or uh i don't don't know a a shot of incest or something i don't Mm -hmm. know know, right something to come Mm -hmm. along to really kind of shock the senses Mm -hmm. but that sense of uh
2: like people Nightmare, getting, Nightmare I'm sorry, Castle of Blood has a couple yes. of those moments like yeah. that, you know. So that, you know, everything's quiet, and got still, and then somebody just somebody just bursts into a stab somebody and, or something, you know. Just I don't know. And a solution. Yeah. yeah, right. Yeah. And,
1: and, and that and this film has a few moments of that type, but I think that the middle section of this movie is where people kind of get can kind of get bogged down and feel that maybe the movie is a little too plotting. Mm-hmm. And I could agree with that to a degree. If it's if you're not a fan of the genre, or if, yeah. or if you you know you need a little bit more you know a little bit a little bit more caffeine in your storyline, this right. is really not gonna it's not gonna it's not gonna it's not gonna squeeze your buttocks and send you on your way just <laughs> as, as much as you might like.
2: Uh-huh.
1: But if it is to your taste, if these are the kind of movies that you kind of enjoy. Then mm-hmm. you will probably get some joy out of this because there are enough variations on this without yes. it being. Yeah. I mean, we've talked a lot about how it's referencing mm-hmm. obviously mm-hmm. the the Corman Poe films and it's pulling bits, you know, bits here and there from Edgar Allan Poe's stories and uh, it's kind of leaning on this, that, and the other. But I would come back to the director's stated desire to lean into Hitchcock's stylistics for what mm-hmm. he was trying to accomplish, and I think that there are uh, there are more hits than misses in this. But if the movie doesn't catch you, you're really probably not gonna. You're not yeah. gonna. You're not gonna get in its wavelength.
2: Yeah, because you've got to. You've got to get pretty far into the film for it to start pulling the surprises, start pulling the little twists that yeah. that, that show some more than just to buy the numbers. Some of the things that happens with characters. Uh, and I'll say right now, I like the film better on the second viewing than I did through the, on the first. Yes. Um, and I think the second time through, I started appreciating more just the way, uh, without giving anything away, because we don't want to spoil everything, but there's a couple of things you think you know about a couple of the characters that they surprise you with, and a couple of things where you, a relationship is going to go somewhere you think it's going, and it doesn't. Yeah. So the show's more, but you just got to work with it, you got to ride with it, till you get to those points there. So that's why I feel like the second half, or especially the last third of the film, pays off, you know, what you get through kind of the first bit, which is which is kind of more the plotting part to me, you know? Yeah.
1: I, I agree with you. I think that uh, the the payoff is good. the fun, The final yeah. act of the movie is I, I like the I like the first I like the most of the first act. It does kind of slow down a bit too much, in my opinion, in the middle. In the middle, mm-hmm. but the third act is pretty darn good. Yeah. And the uh, like I say, I I know I will like this movie better if somebody ever comes yeah. up with a better print. Yeah. Uh, because. The guy who shot this movie, the man who was the director of photography, is a freaking genius in black and white. Mm -hmm. If you've seen the Diabolical Doctor Z on Blu-ray, holy crap, this guy knows how to shoot black and Mm white. Oh, man, I would love to be able to see what he was doing with this castle and with these costumes and with the lighting. Because uh, in in the storm sequences, both inside and outside, it looks like there's a lot of really interesting shadow play going on but we can only see some of it because the print is so shitty yeah and that's 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 a real shame I'd love 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 to see a better looking print of this and I just that, it doesn't seem to exist anywhere in the world I, I did a quick hunt to try to find a better looking print of this anywhere and mm-hmm. it just does not seem to exist and there's a there's a little bit of my movie-loving heart that that really kind of cries in, <laughs> in, in anger and, and frustration for that kind of loss because <laughs> I don't know if we'll ever see that kind of thing. And I really ought to get myself off this subject before I do.
2: <laughs> well, it's the way I feel when I talk about, um, what is it, um, was it Murder man- Maniac Mansion? What was it? Mur- that we- uh,
1: Murder Mansion. Murder
2: Mansion, you know, when we did that. That's just or one. Man- that-
1: Maniac Mansion, same title. Right. different Different titles, same right. film.
2: That's the one that just kills me when I think about how badly I want to see a good print
1: of that film. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. But even the prints of that look better than Oh, this. they do, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> but then again, I mean, hey, we've been... Who, who knew that we were ever going to see a Blu-ray of Beast and the Magic Sword? Hey, or that's right, right. A number of these movies that, luckily, we've been able to, mm-hmm. to, to mm-hmm. be, you know, who, who knew Gra- the Lorelai's grass was ever going to come out on Blu-ray?
2: Yeah. I mean, come on. Yeah.
1: Did we ever really, think, no, I never, I never thought that was going to happen, but, hey, mm-hmm. we got lucky. And so now that we're talking about things like that, I'd like to put out the call <laughs> <laughs> for uh, somebody to put out uh, the, the Sea Serpent. Yes. <laughs> One of Amado D'Osorio's very last films. On Blu-ray, I'm not saying it's good. I'm saying I want a Blu-ray of it,
2: mm-hmm.
1: which, <laughs> That's also, what I'm which
2: also has Gerard Tichy in it.
1: <laughs> yes, yes. Well, that, yeah, that movie has some horrible special effects.
0: <laughs> I will grant you that. Mm-hmm.
1: But I still want, I still would love to have a really, mm-hmm. a, and and you know what, be glad to do a commentary track on it Aye, and yeah. praise that movie up and down, faults and all, <laughs> because I, I want I want to be able to point people to the Sea Serpent and not have to say. Okay, there's a better looking print of it on YouTube if you search this way.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> but beside the point. People, we need this movie on Blu-ray. Mm. And I'm not talking about just the sea serpent. Yeah. We also need mm. the Blanchville Monster yes, on do. Blu-ray. I can only find two alternate I-, I can only find the two titles, the Blanchville Monster and, and Horror. Hara. Yeah. And I gotta say, there's got to have been a better title. <laughs> really, surely. Surely. As I said at the beginning of this, yeah. there has to have been a better title. Uh, well, what did you give it on the 1 to 10 scale?
2: What I gave it was, uh, as as it stands right now, I give it a 6.
1: Oh, okay.
2: I've, but it's one of those films that who knows, if this mythical, pristine version we've been talking about came out, possibly it might... It could elevate. Might elevate to a 7, because I think the story elements are there, and the elements are there too. So I hate to hold, and I don't want to hold... That's why I'm kind of qualifying it that way, because I, I don't want to hold it against it. It's not the film's fault that there's no good prints of it out now that True. we can't see it this way. So, but I just feel without that extra element, it can't quite pull me in to love it the way a seven or to really. Oh, yeah. But absolutely, I would see it again if it does come out in a better version. And I can totally see it making that leap if I really, you know, once we see it how it's supposed to be seen, it might make that leap from a six to a seven.
1: I can see that. I, on the other hand, uh, gave it a 12. No, okay. (laughs) (laughs) I'm kidding. I'm kidding. kidding. Uh, Honestly, no, I actually gave it a five. Okay. uh, Because I can't in the form we have it, mm-hmm. I can see the things that I like, and I see the things, mm-hmm. some of the things, anyway, that I don't like, but until we get a better print of it, see, I'm pretty sure that, the, that I will, I will like this movie a lot more if we can mm-hmm. ever get a better print. Yeah. But, uh, as it stands, I just gotta, I, it's, it's mid-range, it's, it's right in the middle.
2: Gotcha. I gotta,
1: gotta give it a five. I understand the six, because, yeah, on, on, the second, on second viewing, I was thinking about maybe, maybe mm-hmm. edging it up to a six myself, but, I just, mm-hmm the the, the my, my frustrations with the the middle section and uh, mm. it, 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 it plods a little bit too much it, mm. it, it, it does feel like it's a little too long in the middle mm. section mm. but uh, like I say a better looking print will probably change my yeah. mind if it ever happens I hate public domain sometimes <laughs> I really do. public domain has shit canned releases for so many decent I know. movies and it just God, I know. it frustrates me it's not you know it, if there were a really good version mm-hmm. of it out there in public domain, it would be one thing. But mm-hmm. the fact that all we end up with are these horrible looking yeah. duped down things is oh, it's so sad. Well at any rate
2: Well I actually have one kind of more thing I wanted to oh, say yeah. about really more about Helga Lane. Um, she's beautiful. Did you know that? No, I didn't uh, did. well, I I I I, Okay. I had, oh, I thought okay, a, I thought I, I was a the first to know no, but actually what no, but seriously, oh, what I wanted to say about was that uh <clears throat> I sort of ended up going down this uh gothic rabbit hole that I didn't know that I was going to. <laughs> didn't really intentionally do it. At the same um at the same time that we decided we were going to do the Blanchville Monster for this episode, I was watching The Web of the Spider in anticipation for, you know, eventually getting a chance to listen to the the episode that y'all did yeah, yeah, yeah. on, you know, and so I watched it <clears throat> and I was and I was already thinking, well, if I'm gonna watch the I might as well watch the other version. I might want well to watch the earlier version, Castle of Blood.
1: Right.
2: Which I had seen before, but I knew was on Included on the Blu-ray of Nightmare Castle,
1: correct.
2: And I had not watched Nightmare Castle in a long time, a lot of a lot of years, and so you, you know I was thinking, well, I'm time. just so yes, I did. So I was like, watch Castle Blood, and I think, well, I might as well go and watch Nightmare Castle, forgetting that Helga Lanay was in it. I mean, hell, when I first saw last time I saw Nightmare Castle, I'm not even sure if I really was aware of who Helga Lanay was. I was probably watching it more for Barbara Steele. Yeah. Um. So it was really great to my to my amusement to realize that she looks exactly like. In, in, in Nightmare Castle she looks exactly like she does in Blancheville Monster. I mean she's got the hair the hair and the dress exactly I think you're right. the yeah. black dress tied you know, the black the severe black dress that pulled up black yeah. hair. In both these films, you know, we're so used to I mean it was really the Spanish directors that just let her go full on Helga, you know, and all of her glory, you know, and, yeah. and whereas these whereas interesting in these Italian gothics. She's this, you know, this really drawn up uh housekeeper character um, now she's got a little bit more to do in 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 nightmare castle because if you recall she actually it starts out as an old woman and does it so well that i didn't even it i didn't realize that it was helga lanae until she gets this the the doctor that she's kind of having the affair with yeah. manages to give her this treatment that makes her a young woman again but she's so good as the old woman because you know she's a tall woman but she actually, in order to play the old woman, she she does this kind of with you know draws in and become and, and she pr- crouches down yeah. as a much more smaller and the makeup's really good too. And I didn't realize that was her until she becomes Helga Lanae that we know and love. But she looks like just like she did it does in in a um, in in this film in the Blanchfield Monster. But I thought that was so so bizarre. <laughs> and it's interesting because Barbara Steele uh, does an audio commentary of a Nightmare Castle, and she also does an interview on the disc too. And in both places, she talks about how much she loved Helga Lane. And it's, it's cool because it on the audio commentary, she says, you know, she said, I loved her. She said, I thought she was so beautiful and so magnificent. She said, I, I felt like she should be playing the twin leads and I should have been playing the housekeeper. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: hope we could have pulled it off. That would have been nice.
2: Yeah. And uh, it's funny, in my notes, I, even, I didn't say about it, we were going to the plot, but I it, it cracked me up when she's sitting there eating supper with the family because I'm sitting there thinking... Would a housekeeper have been sitting, eating at the family, eating at the family meal at this time? See, that's know? one of the...
1: That, I, I, that is yeah. one of the weird
2: things that makes you, of course, it makes you wonder about the character, where she's just sitting right. there like, okay, this, well, she's keep, awfully familiar I for I kept it.
1: waiting yeah. for them to pull the trigger on yeah. the affair mm-hmm. between, you know, Roderick mm-hmm. and the Helda Linné character. I kept waiting and waiting and waiting. Yeah. And, uh, you know, th- th- there, there are things that get revealed as the film yeah. goes on, but it's just like, I'm, I'm pretty sure this guy's sister would have immediately gone. What the fuck is the servant doing here <laughs> exactly? In the with yeah. Us? <laughs> yeah, with our guests glaring at me. I and know. That, know.
2: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, um Oh, I have to say one more thing too. Uh, in continuing down this gothic rabbit hole is while I had that disc out, I was like, well, hell, you know, it's got terror creatures from the grave oh, God, on yes. it, and. uh...
1: There's a crappy title.
2: Uh, Crappy title for a damn fun movie, though. I like And that was one that turned out I had never seen before because the thing about all these Barbara Steele movies, man, is I seriously, they blend in my head. Yeah. I'm trying to circle back around and watch them all because, you know, I mean, God, there's Long Hair of Death and She-Beast and... Horrible Dr. Hitchcock. And it's been so many years since I watched so many of them that I, I wasn't sure which ones I would seen or which ones were even alternate titles for other ones. I thought, did she just yeah. make two and there's like each one has four titles? <laughs> well, see, that's just
1: it. <laughs> Terror Creatures from Beyond the Grave is one of those ones that for several years, mm-hmm. a long while back, I thought... That's an alternate title for one of these others, and I yeah, like long for, hair thought, of death
2: or something like one think, of those.
1: Exactly, I thought for a long time that it had to be an alternate title for one of them.
2: Yeah, and I did t- and, and then I was, and then I started looking up and looking at our filmography, and I goes, actually, these are all different films, and I'm not sure which ones of these I've seen. And when I watched it, I I, I just thought it was a blast. I mean, I you're right, it's a terrible title, but it's a really entertaining movie. Yep. I was just I had a great time with it.
1: <sighs> Man, these the, the, the gothics are a rabbit hole, and there's a yeah. there's a part of me that that. Uh, would really love for there to be a maybe there is and I just don't mm. I'm not aware of it. I would love for there to be a podcast dedicated just to the black and white gothics. Mm. That then, oh, once yeah. it exhausted that vein, yeah, yeah. segued into the color gothics. Yeah, yeah. Or, or maybe like went through them chronologically. Mm. Mm-hmm. In other words, attack. And now I'm thinking, yes, that's the way I would attack it. I would just <laughs>
2: like, okay, what,
1: what's the what's the mm. er one? What's the yeah. one that started it all? And then I would just kind of start moving through them chronologically mm. and. And uh, examine the the genre as it changes and morphs and things get yeah. added to it across the decades, which means that Man. I would never be finished.
2: Well, but, and here's something, too, you know, is what they always call the hammer, they always call hammer gothics, you know, like yeah. the hammer gothic, yeah. but are any
0: kind
1: of them
2: really it. gothic? I mean, are, do they, though? I mean, as far as like. When we, they have gothic I mean, they settings. Have, yeah, they have castles and, you yeah. know, and, and period pieces, but story wise, do any of them really.
1: It depends on how you. That's the thing. Yeah, once you're, exactly. once you're I mean, down yeah. The, yeah. the the gothic rabbit hole, you yeah, have to like the, you have to make the distinction between uh, gothic settings, mm-hmm. gothic storylines, mm-hmm. and kind of gothic mm-hmm. as a as a way of life. I yeah. Think. Kind of a, as an uh, as an adaptation to mm. uh, looking at looking at life as kind of a kind of through a gothic mm-hmm. prism in yeah. a way.
2: Yeah. And so. I mean, once you take with the classic monsters and put it in the story, does that stop it from being a gothic? Once you take Dracula and put him well, into that's just it, 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 yeah.
1: In a lot of ways, and this is this is where we get really esoteric for just a second. Sure. A gothic story is just a film, well, I'm, I'm sorry, it's, I'm, a gothic story is just a story set in gothic tropes, in yeah. gothic settings, mm-hmm. uh, with with kind of the gothic uh, standard story mm-hmm. uh, elements. Mm-hmm. Those are the gothics. It's mm-hmm. primarily the setting. Mm-hmm. Meaning that uh, when you start talking about a gothic storyline, you're thinking, you're ta- you're talking more about, like, when someone, here's, here's a good way to look at it. If I were to say to you, it's a science fiction movie, that wouldn't tell you much. Right. Right? That's true. And it kind of should be the same for someone saying it's a gothic movie. In other words, all you really know about a science, somebody saying it's a science fiction movie, is that it is... Probably set in the future. Hmm. Maybe it's futuristic hmm. in, in, in the way it looks. Hmm. Maybe not, not necessarily.
2: Or deals with a type of science that has not been fully proven yet, even if it's been talked about or maybe. even discovered or, just, yeah, or whatever. Discovered, right.
1: Whereas with Gothic, Gothic, because science fiction is a setting, it's, yeah. it's, it's a genre idea. Hmm. Gothic really should be thought of as a genre idea within which all these different kinds of stories can be told. Because so, you know, you can have a science fiction drama, a science fiction action movie, a science fiction whatever. Gothic as a setting kind of should be in the the, the same way. In other words, you could have a gothic drama, a Mm -hmm. gothic romance, Mm -hmm. a gothic horror story, a gothic, you know, uh, whatever, whatever, a gothic crime story. You Mm -hmm. could have a gothic crime story. And they're honestly, if you think about, uh, like say a, a standard Jack the Ripper story, that's a gothic crime story. It's not, a, I mean, yeah, you could call it yeah. a horror story because yeah. Jack, the, the right, Jack right. the Ripper murders it's are definitely yeah, horrific, but, but yeah, right. at the end of it, if you've got someone yeah. pursuing this murderer, really yeah. it's, it's a crime story. Yeah. So
2: yeah,
1: in the past few days trying to wrap my brain around the idea that of Gothic as a, as a, a setting mm-hmm. more than uh, a description a, a descriptor of the type of story being told. Mm-hmm. That's that's helped me a little bit, and like I yeah. said, I kind of try to one to one it with, you know, it's yeah. with science fiction. Somebody yeah. telling you it's a science fiction movie does not give you anything to work on other right. than just some some basic ideas for what it could be, and it could go in like a, a dozen different yeah. directions. Yeah. So, there we go. I uh, <laughs> little master class inside mm-hmm. my head. Sorry. <laughs> that's that, those are yeah. we talk about rabbit holes earlier? Oh yeah, that was, was, that that was one will, of my rab- can, that was one yeah. of my rabbit holes earlier mm-hmm. because. Mm-hmm once I realized that um, I should I should uh, stop picturing just black and white movies when I think of gothic horror as soon as that, as soon as I realized that that took yeah. that took some like crowbarring my brain open to yeah. get that mm. shoved in there um, I realized just how large the genre is because I really kind of thought of it as a really small niche little thing but it's not it's really no. kind of big yeah. I kind of want to explore it more in the podcast, mm. but I also know that I've got too many things on the boil <laughs> as it stands. I yeah, really I kind of stop myself now. <laughs> but I do want to thank the listener out there who pushed us to uh, check this film out because, yes. like I said, I I thought I'd seen it. Yeah, me
2: too. You know, it's yeah, and I, I
1: may have seen it, <laughs> but now I've definitely seen it. So, So thank you out there. More suggestions can come our way anytime. We'll be happy. So we'll take a quick break. We'll come back. I think we have one piece of uh, viewer email to check out, and then we will let you know what we're up to in the near future. All right.
0: Prepare for a spine-tingling, nerve-shattering podcast featuring all your favorite monsters. You won't believe your ears when you listen to Monster Kid Radio. Here, your host, Derek M. Cook and his ever-rotating stable of guests discuss your favorite classics and sometimes not-so-classic monster movies.
1: All right, let's crack open the mail bag. We've got one piece of mail here from uh, back in May. We're slow, we're slow about this. Here we are. This is from Craig. Craig says, uh, Hey guys, wanted to relay a story to you that I think you might enjoy. I recently ran into an old college roommate of mine. We talked about our other two roommates and the pranks we used to pull on one another. Whenever we would enjoy some herbal refreshment to get in touch with our inner Bob Marley, all of that in quotes, of course, uh, I had a particular prank I would pull. If for some reason my roommates needed something from the store, uh, smokes, Mountain Dew, whatever, I always had to go because I was the only one who could keep it together in public. (laughs) So before I would leave, I'd turn the TV over to Univision and leave the house with the remote. (laughs) (laughs) normally they'd be stuck watching a game show or a melodramatic soap opera well my ex-roommate said one time when I did that they watched a savage and really bloody werewolf movie that freaked us the F out I knew that could only be one thing El Hombre Lobo oh yeah seeing as you two seeing as I have you two to thank for my degree in Nashiology I told him all about the nashi werewolf movies and turned him on to your podcast oh nice Keep up the great work. Can't wait to hear the next one, Craig.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so now I wonder if he still uh, goes into that same, shall we say, frame of mind, finds his inner Bob Marley while he's listening to us uh, do our podcast on there. <laughs>
1: now I'm just imagining uh, one of the nashy Werewolf films with a reggae soundtrack. <laughs>
2: yeah, you know, when I'm uh, my first thought when I, when I read his uh, his his mail uh, was uh, the fun how funny the thought was of of somebody you know getting high and stumbling across. Horror rises from the tomb, or, or you know, werewolf shadow, or any any Polanski film, you know. And uh, and then I, I then I laughed even harder when I thought that uh, you know they'd be telling people like, oh my god, you, you know, I, I you wouldn't believe why this movie looked to me when I was like, so high, what I thought I was seeing, and then years later <laughs> watching the film again, and realizing. Oh, it was actually there in the first play. I didn't hallucinate that at all. That was really—it was you know, you can get really his throw did down. He really did. This head did actually float around and talk to her, you know. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Well, you know, considering the state that Nashi was in when he wrote uh, uh, "Horror Rises from the Tomb," he would probably appreciate that stuff. Well, I'm just—I'm
1: I'm just imagining them, you know, because there's some some of those action set pieces in, oh uh, like uh, the werewolf, the werewolf and the ye- the werewolf and the Yeti. Oh yeah. Uh, I think about that. If you caught if you caught that one, it really you know just in Spanish, and you couldn't tell what the hell was really happening. <laughs> it's just all it's, <laughs> all you're seeing is the action it's like there's a werewolf diving off a giant boulder mm-hmm. right over that dude's head and then like ripping into people's throats oh. what the fuck is going on where is this movie set
2: oh oh, oh, god I even had more now, I know what the thought I had that was the most horrifying is what about watching uh, watching um Fury of the Wolfman in that uh, oh in that God, state. Yeah. <laughs> That's the one where you'd really like. Oh my Ooh. gosh! I thought I hallucinated all that, and it, that was real. That was. You
1: know, honestly, <laughs> that that movie has actually made a few people think that they had actually imbibed LSD <laughs> or <was> something <laughs> before pushing play on the. You know, so.
2: Or just trying to follow the, the what's going on in uh, Doctor Jekyll and the Werewolf. You know, following that whole crazy. Plot idea, yeah, anyway, going, and then I like was, it's like what? wait a minute, wait minute. I thought he was. Where did Mister Hyde come from? Yeah, was like he was you, a, you don't want to
1: leave the room and let that thing keep playing. Or you're gonna get <laughs> you're gonna freak out. Going, wait a minute, wait a
0: minute, wait a minute. is he a werewolf. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I was pretty sure he was. A, oh fuck, he's a werewolf again. well no hell. So, just, so anyway, if you. Have an amusing uh, mm-hmm. story about mm-hmm. pranking your roommates in the yeah. past. You can write to us at NashyCast at gmail.com.
2: And thank you uh, again for uh, uh, turning on a, a, a new person to uh, the new drug that is the cast. You know, they they're, they're new, <laughs> Their new new addiction. Uh...
1: God, why, why, why do I feel like this is dialogue out of a, a lost David Cronenberg? <laughs> yeah. It's like Videodrome 2, the Nashening. Oh <laughs> hail the new cast. Oh hail, hail the new the cast, yeah. But we pull Blu-rays out of our stomach (laughs) mood. Oh, my God. In
2: our case, it's like, you know, I don't know, little BitTorrents or something, pulling out little, you know, little thumb drives out of our (sighs) stomach Yes,
1: Yes. I noticed. Now I get it. You weren't looking directly at the screen. You were just talking about what was happening. You weren't looking at it. That's why I'm the only one who's infected. (sighs) Anyway. We should probably move on. Thank you once again yes. for listening
2: to the show. Yes, absolutely. Uh,
1: next month, I do have something on the boil. I have another interview that I'm trying to line up for the Nashi cast. I don't want to announce anything quite yet because I haven't gotten everything linked up quite yet, so I don't want to get get ahead mm. of things. But next month, Troy and I will be back over on the Bloody Pit to rejoin the Universal Horrors mm. theme of uh, mm. checking out the 1940s already in progress. Uh, next month we get to one of the biggies
2: yes first time the Frankenstein monster lurches into our 40s series here
1: and I think we're probably going to spend a whole lot of time talking about that Frankenstein monster because next Mm -hmm. month it's the ghost of Frankenstein yep a movie that I have a lot of time for I have Mm -hmm. uh, I have returned to that movie again and again and again probably because it's one that I have not uh, had up until uh, 20 years ago it's not one that I had that I had watched to death Mm -hmm. It's yeah. it's it's one of those movies that I find immensely uh, entertaining, and uh, I got a lot to say about that
2: film. Cool, it's looking be forward fun. to it. Yeah, it's going to be a fun episode.
1: Still working our way through nineteen forty
2: two. Yeah, boy, yeah. we're really <laughs> we're just booking <laughs> churning and <not laughs> book it along. <laughs> Blurring, blurring speed. We're, but
1: luckily, people seem to be really enjoying. Yeah, they the,
2: do. We've got a lot of good.
1: Well, Mad, Mad, do- Mad Doctor Market Street's going great guns. People really yeah. have enjoyed uh, our take on that. Uh, cool. twisted little attempt.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best way to put that. <laughs> that uh, yes, that uh, that murderous, that scary Market Street uh, film there. That. Uh, well,
1: I mean, we it goes goes to bring we're lucky because we get a little bit we get we more, more Lionel well,
2: Yes, yeah. well, we've seen a lot of Lionel in the in the in the years to come as we go in this series here.
1: And nothing, no, I don't have any problem with that at all Me either, not at all So folks, we want to thank you once again for listening to the show Yep Remind remind you once again, if you want to, you can write to us Nashacast at gmail.com Or you can join us over on the uh, Nashacast Facebook page We'll be glad to hear from you over there as well uh, Troy will answer all your questions while mm. I ignore you completely <laughs> Is that the way we're going to do this?
2: Uh, yeah, you've you've reached that executive level there now, <laughs> Where you just, you know
1: <laughs> I, I call myself. Uh, I gave myself the title Grand Loon.
2: <laughs> Grand Loon, I like that. <laughs>
1: Grand Loon of the NashiCast. I thought that that was probably yeah. <laughs> the most descriptive term that I like fit. It. I like it. All of my duties mm-hmm. on this particular podcast. <laughs> so, folks, thank you for listening to the show. We hope you will come back to us uh, next time. We're we're here on the Nashy Cast and over on the Bloody Pit as well. My name is Rod Barnett.
2: I'm Troy Gwynn.
1: We'll talk to you again soon.